Welcome to Pure Nonfiction, the podcast interviewing documentary filmmakers. I'm Tom Powers, the documentary programmer of the Toronto International Film Festival and the artistic director of Doc NYC. On this episode, we discuss the film Running with Beto. My name is Beto O'Rourke, born and raised in El Paso, Texas, here to represent the state of Texas in the United States Senate. 2018, Congressman Beto O'Rourke ran against incumbent Ted Cruz for Senate. As a Democrat in Texas, Beto was considered a long shot. He refused PAC donations to focus on contributions from individual donors. He took left-wing positions on issues like immigration and gun control. But his speeches struck a nerve. Here's a question he took on the campaign trail that turned into a viral video. I kind of wanted to know if you found that disrespectful, the NFL players kneeling during the national anthems. Just, I find it incredibly frustrating that people seem to be okay with that. Um, my, my short answer is no. I don't think it's disrespectful. Here's my, my longer answer, but I'm going to try to make sure that I get this right. The freedoms that we have were purchased not just by those in uniform, and they definitely were, but also by those who took their lives into their hands riding those Greyhound buses, the Freedom Riders in the Deep South in the 1960s, who knew full well that they would be arrested, and they were. Peaceful, nonviolent protests, including taking a knee at a football game to point out that black men, unarmed, Black teenagers, unarmed, and black children, unarmed, are being killed at a frightening level right now, including by members of law enforcement, without accountability and without justice. The film captures a year of Beto's campaign, and we watch as a political star is born. We also see Beto's interactions with his staff members, sometimes riding them hard. Deputy campaign manager Cynthia Kano and the 25-year-old communications director, Chris Evans, discussed Beto's high expectations. He's like, oh, figure it out. He could get it done, figure you, out how to get it done. If you get like 109 emails in like a day, and you respond to 108 of them, he will find the one person you didn't respond to. And he doesn't take excuses. You no. can't ever say like, well, you, you know. Never, I, you just can't, you never I'm definitely give ill, Beto, you nope. don't understand. You just do it, like, you just you do it. it he does it, right? <laughs> Running with Beto is now playing on HBO. Last week, filmmaker David Modigliani presented a sneak preview at New York's Metrograph Theater. He was joined by three volunteers from Beto's campaign who appear prominently in the film. Shannon Gay comes from the center of Texas. She describes herself as neglectful about politics until she realized how much was at stake. I went up to Beto and I told him, I said, here's the deal, man. You better bring brains, backbone, and balls to the table or go home. And I told him, I said, I'm going to be up your ass so much, I'll be able to tell you what you had for lunch. He said, that's as it should be. I want so desperately to hear him tell Ted Cruz, you pack your shit and get the fuck out of Dodge because there's a new kid in town and his name is Beto. Marcel McClinton is a Houston high school student who became an activist around gun control after a local tragedy. This isn't some distant reality that we're all becoming crazy about. The truth is, kids are scared to go to school. Maybe you won't be in a school. Maybe you'll be in a church like I was. In 2016, a gunman went on a shooting rampage with an AR-15 right in front of my church while I was teaching Sunday school to my many, many toddlers. 
And that's when I realized that this can happen anywhere. This fight will be long. It's proven difficult already. But commit. Commit to never giving up. Amanda Salas lives on the Mexican border and grew up Republican in a Fox TV household. But coming out as a lesbian and watching the politics around immigration caused her to focus on Democrats. Texas is officially a battleground state. You know, a lot of people didn't think that was going to happen until 2020, if it ever happened. And we made it very clear that Texas is now a competitive state. Our conversation starts with director David Modigliani. Later, he's joined by Amanda, Marcel, and Shannon. The discussion was moderated by Doc NYC senior programmer Karen McMullen in front of a live audience. So, David, you are a poet, a playwright. You have an improv comedy troupe. You do all sorts of things besides make films. But you also play baseball, and that factored into how this whole film came about. Yeah, the last credit before we switched to the... Uh, to all the credit blocks there was for the Texas Playboys Baseball Club. I, I'm a founding member of our Sandlot baseball team in Austin. Uh, we have uh, friends that form teams and come play us sometimes. And so in April of 2017, Los Diablitos de El Paso showed up in Austin and they had a lanky center fielder with a name that I hadn't heard before who just so happened to be a U.S. congressman. Uh, and he had announced that he was running for Senate about six weeks before then. Um, so I was playing first base and he hit a single we had a chance to chat a little bit. Um, and I, I had been, I think, especially since the 2016 election, just feeling how acutely we dehumanize each other through politics, um, how disconnected that leaves us and how much that just causes people to just tune out and, and not be involved. Um, and was looking for a story that might rehumanize it in some way, make it feel accessible. Um, and so during the seventh inning stretch, Beto jumped up on a hay bale and, and brushed his sweaty locks aside and dirty uniform. And it was very clear, like, this guy's a movie star. But when, when he described the kind of campaign that he was going to run, um, you know, that he was ready to take risks and try something new, uh, that he was going to only take money from, uh, you know, other human beings, something that has become the default position, essentially, in the Democratic Party, which was not true even 18 months ago. Um, that he was going to go to every county in Texas, including the most conservative. He was going to have pollsters. He was going to run this transparent campaign. That sounded like an odyssey that felt interesting and accessible. Um, and so a few months after that, I had breakfast with him. And then in November of 2017, we started shooting. So we shot for the last 12 months of the, of the campaign. So transparency is a big thing. And Trust, obviously, as a filmmaker, you need the trust of your subjects. You spent a good amount of time on the road with him before the cameras started rolling. Can you talk about what it was like hanging out with Beto? Sure, yeah. One of our producers, Greg Quidar, uh, a great insight, which was, uh, you know, go be a filmmaker without a camera for a little while. Because when I first pitched Beto, he was like, yeah, cool, that sounds good. You know, like, what, should we start now? Like, are we, you know, and his staff was like, no, we're not going to do this at all. And he was into it. Um, but I think uh, it is. I think the documentary filmmaking is, is entirely an exercise in trust. It's about creating an environment of trust, about building a team uh, that, that, um, that preserves that trust and makes subjects feel comfortable to welcome you into their most intimate moments and then trying to deliver that feeling of trust to, to an audience. Um, so we had a chance, I think, to get to know one another, to let them get to know me a little bit. Um, certainly when the campaign got more intense, there wasn't really room for any of that anymore. 
Um, and it was hard. I mean, with, with you know two months left uh, in the campaign, once that video went viral, once he really became the story of the midterms, um, not only the national media, um, but also the international media showed up. There were crews from South Korea and Australia and Japan that were on the ground, like in Goliad, Texas. I mean, it was, it was, it was mind-boggling. And they were just this little group of three or four people that were besieged by you know, the media, also just the well-wishers pushing food and cookies in the window. And it was just physically becomes a situation where, where they were turning inward. And I was really worried, like, are we going to get what we need to finish this film. And I had to have a sort of come to Jesus email to the um, to Beto and Amy and the senior staff. Like, I think we could make something special here unless this goes from behind the scenes to outside looking in. And it's a real testament to them, to the transparency and trust that they had, um, you know, I think exemplified in election night that they would welcome us into the kitchen, you know, in this most vulnerable moment when what they had been working for and sacrificing for as a family for two years had not gone their way. Um, that was a moment that I will, will never forget and is completely, you know, a testament to, to, to them. And to you as a filmmaker um, for capturing that intimacy. It's a very warm film. It's not, you know, just a film about politics, but it's very human. Um, but that said, was there any, were there any moments during that first getting to know you period that you'd wish that you had a camera? No, I think we got it all. I mean, um, there were, the, the Diablitos came back to Austin for another baseball game, and of course I was like, Rachel, we need seven cameras at the shoe, we need drones, like we really <laughs> shot the shit out of that baseball game, and it is not in this movie, but we are going to have a little extra that's going to come out. They used to tell directors, like, it'll be in the DVD extras. Like, it's okay. It'll That's just, you know, now there's like, but we're going to do a digital thing, so it'll be good. That's the only thing I'm sad isn't in the movies. More baseball. Um, one of the journeys, you know, from, I've watched this a couple times now, and, you know, your first scenes, there's just like six viewers at the beginning, and, you know, then fast forward until when the viral video takes place. Um, that amount of that rise, that celebrity, that rags to riches story, that you know, being anonymous to all that fame, is like a test of one's character. You know, um, did you see him? I mean, can you talk about how he was able to maintain his integrity, or if you saw any shift in his disposition over the course of the filming? It's a great question. I mean, remarkably, he really stayed the same person. Um, he, he contains paradoxes, certainly. I mean, I think is able to both um, find joy in what he's doing, of like blasting the Ramones in the car and, and scarfing down tacos, um, but also to feel acutely that our democracy is in the state of crisis and, and is able to somehow balance those things. He was able to be speeding, not in the film. We got pulled over twice, once going 97 miles an hour. Um, and, uh, you know, just racing, like, to get to the next place. And then when he was there to make every person in that town feel like he had all afternoon uh, with them. And he was able to, I think, hold on to a lot of that. I think keeping the staff small was so important to him, to not have anyone that was going to try to talk him out of being who he was and, and, and how he, um, you know, how he wanted to be. And... Um, I think uh, he, he, he really knew who he was at the beginning, and I think that's the gift of uh, choosing to run, you, 
be part of this brand of politics, to be candid, to 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 make the gamble that um, having you know being being candid, um, sort of convictions over convenience. Like I'm going to say what I really think, and I'm going to bet that if I we agree with this 70% over here, if we disagree about the 30%, but I shoot you straight about that, maybe you'll come across for me. I mean, his positions are are fundamentally out of step. If you had Texans take a survey on a series of issues, I mean, he is further left than Texas, but he uh, connected with people. Um, because he was so thoroughly himself. So as we know, you're one of your idols, D.A. Pennemakers here. And I read that one of the films that inspired you was his iconic film about Bob Dylan, yeah. uh, Don't Look Back, yeah. which had nothing to do with politics, but yet had an, uh, an effect on you. Can you talk about that? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I'm D.A. Pennemaker and Chris Hedges, of course, made the incredible film, The War Room, um, which, which was really one of the first films to, to turn the camera away from the candidate um, and, to, and to look at some of the other people that, were, that are involved in a campaign. Um, and, and certainly that was part of our inspiration to, to, to turn away from Beto and his family and include these amazing folks. But yeah, the, don't look back. I mean, 19, late, you know, mid-1960s, Bob Dylan and his first tour of the UK. Um, that film, just the cinema verite nature of it, um, I think it just to cr we tried to create an immersive experience that made you feel like you were you were part of of this. And to I think in that film you have sort of this truth teller that um, is setting the world on fire by doing things differently and is has to navigate that experience of fame. I mean, of of just sort of blowing up overnight. And they did such an amazing job. They made their own cameras. I had never. Um, used a camera before. I, I had had the, the the privilege of working with great cinematographers in, in the past, and it became very clear that to get the kind of intimacy that you see in a film like Don't Look Back, I was going to have to shoot some of this. So took some inspiration of trying things for the first time. I was like, if they can do it, and if you know, Chris Evans is a 25-year-old communications director, and you know, like we can all try some new stuff. So um, uh, was just yeah, very inspired by that by that particular film for this. Yeah. Is there a sense, I mean, there's hope um, that Texas is veering a little bit more to blue. Do you feel like that's happening and do you feel like his campaign has had anything to do with that, if so? I mean, I think he would be the first person to say that he was a vessel for the energy that is in the state of Texas. Um, he he was some uh, created a campaign that people uh, could fill with with their energy and the real political reawakening that was happening in this state. And I'm gonna just because this is this is a perfect moment to do it. I want to welcome up some very special people. So the people at the heart of this film, Shannon Gay, come on, come on up here. This is a film that's about them. Mr. Marcel McClinton and Amanda Salas. Come on up, you guys. An audience member asked David to describe the emotional ups and downs of following Beto's campaign. I think we tried to make like an intimate epic where you, you feel these small intimate moments and emotions in there as well as like, you know, just sort of the huge moments in a, in a state that is bigger than France. Um, I think I've been thinking about this. We screened, you know, we've we've had the chance in the last couple of weeks to screen this film in, in a few different places. And I think, you know, the the push in the 2018 midterms um, was emotionally fucking exhausting. 
and um, the crisis in our democracy has only gotten worse. And it's about, it's sort of time now for everyone to rededicate themselves and, and allow themselves to be vulnerable and believe in something bigger and work for it again. Um, and when I was watching these guys tonight, I mean, that, that it makes me, Marcel and I were talking on Friday and he said this thing, it's like, it's time to be all in again. Um, and I think emotionally, we, 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 we track the, the, the exhaustion of, of that emotion um, and the ups and downs, like you say, but I think these folks, especially at the end of the film, help us feel like this is the beginning of something and not the end of something. Um, and so I think that's why we're excited for this film to be out on HBO and to reach people kind of in this moment um, in, as we get ready for the stretch dive of this next 2020 election, not the presidential election per se, but the state and local elections uh, as well that we know um, mean so much. How, do you guys want to talk about your emotional experience? Here's Amanda Salas. Um, it, the, the roller coaster is real and even reflecting, it's still really emotional for, for, for me, I know for all of us. Um, but I think for me, the reason why it was so emotional is because I, the place that I live in, um, doesn't get the type of coverage that it should be getting all the time. And so when these crises were happening, um, we'd have hordes of national media and these national organizations going down to the Rio Grande Valley and taking a lead and creating their own narratives and then when the crises were done, they'd leave. And so like for me, who's a native there, that's great, we're getting national attention, it's not the right narrative, we like it, but we're getting attention, we're getting some funds. And then they leave and you're just, we, we gotta keep doing the work because everybody else left. And those are real things that happen all the time. I know that they happen in our communities all the time. Um, so the, the, the roller coaster of this is, was absolutely accurate the way that um, I was feeling in the whole 12 months. I mean, there were times when when we would find out that like with Battleground Texas, we, we registered 50,000 people in Texas and we were super excited. And then we'd find out that like on, on uh, during early vote, you know, what the, what the margin was before election day. And so there really was that get excited. We're almost there, we're almost there. And then like something would just knock you back on your ass again, the reality of things. Marcel, the high school student, describes his experience. Um, I think that that for me, our our whole like movement's goal was to push young voter turnout in the state. Um, Texas was was dead last in, in the nation for voter turnout, and so it was cool. I think after election day, I mean on election day, um, we all went back to the hotel and kind of just cried and let ourselves um, go, um, and kind of also hoped we would go. Um, but I think the next day you had to kind of check in and look at you know how many how many seats across the state were won because of Beto's um, you know just how how he increased turnout in the state the fact that we weren't dead last anymore the fact that young folks did turn out at like this this astronom astronom I can't say the word um, crazy rate um, <laughs> um, yeah so I mean it was it was cool it was it was it's it's sad um, but it's also really exciting to see Texas um, on on track to just flip. Um, and also being a part of that is really, really cool. Now, Shannon Gay. I'm a person of faith, believe it or not, in spite of my trash mouth, I teach Sunday school. <laughs> um, but on election night, it was, it was I had, um, and if any of you are people of faith, you'll know what that peace that surpasses all understanding, I had it that night. I had it that, um, because I communicated to our other ambassadors, Beto didn't lose shit. This young man added another degree of tilt to this entire planet, okay? He changed the entire political landscape, okay? But I had this, this feeling in my heart that 
just be still. Something better is coming. I had Garrett, uh, Garrett Haig from MSNBC ask us at an event, you think he's going to run again? And I said, fuck no. We watched him lose 30 pounds. I took a picture of him in the back of him, and he had no ass. And I, I sent it to Cynthia, and I said, you need to take him to Golden Corral and let him get his freak on because he doesn't have anything there to hold his pants up. And that was heartbreaking. Um, and so when you guys see the part where he's fussing at Cynthia, he, in Austin, I wanted to turn around and bitch slap him because we have physically put him in the car, strapped him in, only to have somebody come up and, Beto, can I get one more picture? One more picture. And Cynthia's having a grand mal seizure in the passenger side going, Beto, please, please. He gets out. That's five more people, 20 minutes off schedule. So when he's fussing at her, I thought, you nightmare, you hemorrhoid, why do you do that? But he is just exactly what you see. But I have that sense of peace. And then he comes back and says, yeah, I'm going to run for president. I'm like, yeah, oh my God. Yeah. But so I, I had a great deal of comfort in that because, like I said, he's, he's the one. He's the one. He's the one we've been waiting for. So We did. We did. So remind, you asked about moments, but Penny we, and David, we cut. The, he did... Um, uh, in that tunnel after the speech that he gave on election night and he's hugging Molly, he did. Sh he was showing his brother-in-law his belt, which had run out of holes, and then he had made a new hole on the belt himself. So that that is true. By the way, we, our producing team, has received two emails from real Hollywood talent agents inquiring about Shannon uh, and her availability for ongoing projects. So... An audience member asked the Beto volunteers, what an outsider should know about progressives in Texas. I actually ask myself this a lot also. It's like, um, you know, is it, is it really worth a lot of these, a lot of progressive Texans like to stay in Texas or would we have a much easier time moving, right? And just living in California, living in New York and knowing that our lawmakers like really do stand with what we, we, what, with what, like what we fight for. Um, and I, I decided that, that I would much rather be a part of the change and the fight to, to, to change Texas um, than, than just have it easy on myself and move somewhere and, and have elected officials that stand with me, right? I think that finding those people in our, in our, in our deep red state, um, when we live in cities that are the blueberries in this big tomato soup, um, I think that finding these folks in, 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 these, like, in these blueberry cities is gonna be, it's, it's just cool to, to see them finally empowered, finally have a voice, and, and that, I mean, Texas is not a red state. I refuse to, to say that or acknowledge it. Um, Texas is Texas. Texas is a purple state. Um, I, I'll say it's a Beto state too, but Texas is really <laughs> and truly like on the verge of changing, and you can feel it um, everywhere that you go in Texas. You drive places. Um, I, have, I saw so many damn Beto signs when, when I was driving around last year. Um, it was really, really phenomenal. I can't say any words today. <laughs> It was a late night at cool. prom, I'm just going to say. <laughs> um, so I think for me, the reason uh, I stick in Texas, besides the fact that it's home, I mean, culturally, you know, we're from about seven miles north of the Mexican border, um, had my first birthday party, like, at a park on the river. Um, I think for me, it's because Texas has been asleep for a very long time, and it's not their fault they've been asleep. And that's one thing that I think people outside of Texas don't understand. They think like, oh, we are 50th in voter turnout. Um, I think after the midterms, we went to 43rd, but I haven't been able to verify that. I think it's still 47th. But um, 
we, we are getting people to turn out to vote at like 15 to 17% in some, in some areas, and that's normal. And it has nothing to do with the value of the people there, and it has nothing to do with their culture, it has nothing to do with the humans that they are, it has to do with the oppression that has been there for generations. And I don't think people that grow up outside of Texas are aware of that whatsoever. The place where I live, I live six to seven miles north of the Mexican border, but about an hour and a half above that, there's a city, this little city town called Falfurious, Texas, and there is a checkpoint, and I don't know if any of y'all know what that is, but that is a place where the federal government has an unconstitutional um, station where you have to drive your cars through and they have to ask you if you're a citizen to get past it. I'm not going from Mexico to another country. So because that exists in the Rio Grande Valley, um, a lot of people, get trapped in the Rio Grande Valley. They don't go any, they don't go back in Mexico because they won't come back and they don't go further north because then they, they'll, get, they'll get sent to Mexico or, or another country. And that leaves a lot of the culture there stunted. I, my grandmother was undocumented for quite a few years. She didn't become a, res, a citizen until I was like seven years old. But that kind of mentality of my grandmother, my mother, I might get taken away is a real thing. And there's a lot of people that whether they are a, whether they themselves are, are at risk, somebody that they know is at risk. And it's not like, oh, my dentist, no, like their best friend at, at school. A lot of their friends at school don't, will never tell them that they are undocumented or that their family is undocumented. But those are real factors. And I think that because Texas gets labeled as a red state, it's not a red state, it's a non-voting state. Uh, I think because we get labeled as, you know, cowboys and big Texas and whatever, people, people forget that there are humans there that have not been given the privilege to be educated about community involvement. It is, a, it is an absolute privilege to volunteer and not a lot of people realize that. Back home, people are too busy working three to four jobs to make ends meet, so there's no time to volunteer, so forget voting. I don't have time to vote, I don't have time to register, and then we were, I was just up in Austin a little while ago fighting more voter suppression laws, 2019, and we're still fighting this stuff. And so I, I just really want for y'all to know it has nothing to do with people being uneducated or backwards or anything like that. We have been oppressed for generations. And just like I said there, the reason why people don't vote is because they think they don't have to. What Beto said about the democratic establishment is absolutely right. He said we all live in blue blueberries and a big red tomato soup. That's absolutely true. The Democrats that are, that are down in my area, they're not, they're not working for my community. But it's, it's a blue area, the same, thing where, the same thing where you're from. And so I can guarantee that if you all take the time, if anybody outside of Texas takes the time to get to know some of the different cultures that are in Texas, some of the different people, you will see that there's absolute value in investing in Texas because Texas is going to be ground zero for not just 2020, but for everything. And here's a fact, here's a true fact, if, um, and it's a true one. Um, <laughs> If we can, so there's enough, not that I believe in the electoral college, but there's enough um, electoral votes in California and New York that if we get control of Texas, those three states can pick our president every single election. That is a true fact. And the county that I'm from is the seventh most populated county in the state and we don't vote like it. And so that was something that I made sure I told every single student when I went to go register them to vote that we need to know we have power, but we have no idea that we have power. And so I think that it's, it's, it's in y'all's best interest to go get involved in Texas, to be really honest. I really think so. I want to thank filmmaker David Modigliani and the Beto campaign volunteers, Amanda Salas, Marcel McClinton, and Shannon Gay. 
You can watch their film, Running with Beto, on HBO. Thanks to moderator Karen McMullen and to our team, series producer Hannah Nordenswan and web designer Cross Strategy. Our theme music is composed by Andre Williams, who passed away in March at age 82. Our executive producer is Rafaela Nehausen. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pure Nonfiction. I'm Tom Powers. You can follow me on Twitter at T-H-O-M Powers. Pure Nonfiction is distributed by the TIFF Podcast Network. You can read our show notes, learn about live events, and sign up for our newsletter at purenonfiction.net. Thank you.